This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast. It's good to be back as we now look ahead to the football season, which is right around the corner. We'll tell you our plans for the podcast, and we have very definitive plans for the football season. We will give you those in the next couple of days, so stay tuned for that. You know, I always make the point that when I head back from Saratoga, I always feel it's football season. It's zero in on football again on a day-to-day basis. College football is already underway um, over the weekend. Not a full week. The first full week will be this coming Saturday. Uh, but you had a couple of interesting things. You had Nebraska show that they haven't improved against Northwestern. Uh, Vandy went to Hawaii and put up 400 yards rushing. Their quarterback beat him with their, his arm and his legs and just buried them 63-10. to 10. And the game I had some interest in is Illinois. I liked Illinois against Wyoming. I thought Illinois was going to be improved, and they won easy. Uh, 38 to 6. So um, they're improved, although Wyoming's rebuilding. Watch it. Hawaii's completely rebuilding. So take those scores against Illinois and Vandy, respectively, with a grain of salt. All right. Obviously, baseball is still on the forefront. The Mets and Yankees, the Mets, being, I, I think it beat one nothing yesterday, no big deal. Um, they had played some tough games with Colorado, but they won three out of four, so it's okay. Um, they're holding off a very stubborn <clears throat> Atlanta team. The games against the Dodgers are going to be very interesting. Uh, as far as the Yankees, losing in Oakland tells you all you need to know. They still have so much trouble scoring. I, you know, I've, I've never liked this team. I've made that very clear throughout the whole season. Even when they were red hot, I couldn't knock how they were playing. They were playing off the, off the charts. But I never really believed in it. I've never really loved this team. I like a couple of guys. Not I, There's a lot of guys I don't like on this team. And the biggest problem now is offense is a problem, but I think there's a way to fix that. The bigger problem is they hit September and they don't have a closer. Forget having a guy that you're saying, well, Willie or won't he in the postseason. I mean, people will even say that about Diaz, as good as he's been this year, until he does it in the postseason. So until you do it in the postseason, it doesn't matter what you do in the regular season. If you don't do it in the postseason, you're going to hear it anyway. But the Yankees don't even have anyone to offer up as a genuine closer of merit. They have to hope they get Holmes back in healthy and he refines his feel for that great sinking fastball. I mean, that's, that's it. You can't count on Chapman. I've told you that forever. 
and what, and his idea, you know, the idea of him getting poisoned from a tattooing season is just mind-boggling. I mean, it just adds to the craziness. And you can't ask these kids to close. I don't care how good their stuff is. You can't ask them to close. So the Yankees are in a very tough place. Listen, they've been going to the playoffs since May. We know that. We knew it before the season started they were going to the playoffs. But they're not now. There's no way they're going to be the team to beat in the American League. And people just have to ratchet down their expectations considering what's going on with that team. They have a chance, but are they going to be what everyone thought they were going to be? No. Not in the least. All right, we want to get to some emails during this uh, podcast. And let me remind you that you can hear the program, hear the podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Bet Rivers in New York. Bet Rivers for all your gambling needs in New Jersey. Play Sugar House still in Connecticut. But Bet Rivers now in New Jersey as well as New York, and they continue to grow, and they continue to expand, and they continue to bring you more and more, and we'll tell you all about that, obviously, as we head towards this football season. I sat and watched the entire, as a matter of fact, my son had a scrimmage, so I taped it. I said, don't tell me to score. Nobody tell me to score. And when I got home, I went from my son's scrimmage to play golf, and then came back, and I walked in, turned on the set, and, and watched the game, the entire game. So I don't think you learned a lot about the Giants in that game, and what you did learn you didn't love. The Jets, if they get some quarterback play, they have talent on that team now. Let's be honest. The general manager has upgraded the talent significantly on that squad. Anyone can see that. The question is what they're going to get out of the quarterback position. And that's going to tell you a lot about their season. Giants have their hands full. I I have a lot more on both teams, but I won't give it to you here. What I'm going to do is take a quick break, come back, get to your emails in this podcast right after this. Want to email the Mike Francesa podcast? Drop Mike a note at mikefrancesapodcast at gmail.com. Mike Francesa podcast. You can email us at mikefrancesapodcast at gmail.com. We'll get to as many as we can. We like to do a podcast uh, full of emails, and this is one right now. Here we go. Troy starts us off. If the Mets win the World Series this year or the next few, do you think that will help Buck Showalter into the Baseball Hall of Fame? Uh, You know, I'm not someone who ever gets hung up on guys' candidacy for the Hall of Fame. But I would think if Buck can add a World Series, and he needs to win a World Series, and I think he has a great chance to win one with the Mets, But I think that would make his credentials very impressive from a managerial standpoint. There's no question about it. Um, This is from Shua. Now, growing up as a big Nets fan in northern Jersey, I saw Jason Kidd do tremendous things on the basketball court. I always felt he never really got the proper respect he deserved. He often gets compared to Steve Nash. In your opinion, which which player is a better player? Uh, boy, that's a tough one. That's it. That's it. That listen, Paxson, Nash, Kid, 
all terrific, terrific players. You really can't go wrong with any of them. It's really what flavor you like. What exactly do you want your point guard to do? But Kidd had incredible talent. He was not the greatest shooter, as we know. But his other talents, especially in terms of playmaking and rebounding, were sensational. And he was a tremendous player, as were the other guys that mentioned there. So I can't put a knock on any of those guys. Louis Mails, I agree with your assessment of Tim Duncan as the most underrated player. Somebody asked me, of the last 50 years in any sport, the most underrated player. I gave it some thought for a while, and the guy I came up with was, I think, Tim Duncan, because he was incredibly brilliant and never treated like incredibly brilliant. He deserved to be treated with the best of the best. And I think his, the fact he was in San Antonio, the fact he had a very bland game and a very bland personality, not a lot of flair, despite how good he was. He was, in, in essence, the big fundamental, as Shaq always called him, but he deserves to be ranked with anybody, and that's why I said he was the most underrated. Uh, he said uh, two others uh, that he gave, okay? Um, the guys he mentioned are in Tim Duncan's league. I mean, I wouldn't even mention them. So I don't think they were great choices, so I'll let it go. Uh, Seth emails, have you watched the Derek Jeter documentary? I have not watched one word of it or one minute of it. Uh, it really hones in on his personality and how he was and how he handled the media and his teammates. What was your relationship with Derek? My relationship with Derek was always very professional. We were not close in any way. But... He, if I asked him for something, he did it. He did only what he had to do. So if we were going to spring training, he came on. If we were set for an interview, he did the interview. Uh, you never put him on the spot. It just wasn't the guy you did that to. Um, everyone stayed within the lines that he wanted everyone to stay because he established those lines very quickly in his career. Uh, and he handled the media brilliantly. I don't think there's any question about that, but I have not watched any of it, to be honest with you. Um, Bradley emails, is there something specific and not so well known that you are particularly proud of? What is something that unexpectedly and pleasantly surprised you? Is there something you would want to do over again? Well, everybody has things they want to do over again. I mean, there's no question. None of us are perfect. So, I mean, obviously we won't make mistakes. So, clearly, there's many things I want to do over again. Uh, you know, without listing them, everyone has those. And I have plenty. Um, what was something that unexpectedly or pleasantly surprised you? Hmm. That's a good one. I'm not sure I can give you that one right now. And what are you proud of? Here's one thing that I'm proud of that I don't know if it's gotten a lot of attention. We started back in the 80s. Sports talk was looked at as not very serious part of the sports world as far as 
newspapers, you know, columnists, uh, even the TV guys, okay, people in the had always looked at sports talk as, you know, a guy with a bell and a whistle who was on after 6 o'clock who either answered trivia questions or yelled and screamed his head off and, you know, made a clown of himself. I think we changed all that. I think we made sports talk matter to the point now where Kids go to school to become sports talk show hosts. I go and talk to groups and there's half a class of want to be play by play and half of them want to be sports talk show hosts. No one wanted to be a sports talk show host early on. It has become in many cities the guy who is the sports media person who has the most clout. It was always the columnist in that town. And there was a time where the TV guys were big like a Warner Wolf. But it all changed, and I think we changed that. And we made sports talk matter. And we made it be held to a much loftier standard. Now, not everybody does it the same way. And you know I've never been a big guy talk person. I don't like guy talk. It's not something we subscribe to. It's not something Dog and I have ever done. It's not something we believe in. We do sports talk, not guy talk. Okay, we don't do TNA. We don't talk about girls. We don't talk about sex. We don't talk about scatological issues. We don't do that stuff. Never did. Never had to. A lot of that's an easy avenue to try and get ratings because you think, hey, everyone's interested in that stuff. And some places, I'm sure they are. That's sensational stuff. But the bottom line is, if you do it with a talent to entertain and to inform, and you have a good opinion, you know, you can carry the day with that without any question. And I think that's the standard we've tried to provide, and I think that standard now exists. I'm not saying it's been held that everywhere, but I think it does exist now, and I think it's something we did change. Eric emails, how would you rank the uh, top NFL Super Bowl winners? Not all, just the best few teams. Would the 86 Giants make the list? Well, the undefeated Dolphins deserve to be first because they did something no one else ever did. The Steeler teams in the 70s, the mid-70s Steelers teams were all-time great teams. The Packer teams were pre-Super Bowl. That were great. The Cowboys probably had the last dynasty. They had a great team. The Niner 84 team was always considered by the Niner people, including Bill Walsh's best team. The Giant 86 team was very strong. The 85 Bears, they were one-year wonders, the 85 Bears, but they were a dominant team. Two shutouts and then 10 points in the Super Bowl. So they only get 10 points in the postseason. And all three games were routes. 
they were a dominant team. I think it's harder now to have dominant teams because of the way the movement of the players is, the way that they have uh, created very created really things that have been legislated in to keep the teams more even. So I think it's harder to have a team now that fits into the all-time great mode. And that's why you come up with teams from the 70s or 80s or pre the economic system we live in now that, that really come to the fore. Iggy asks, did you see the many saints of Newark? I did. It was not good. It was really bad. And considering where it came from, considering that it came from the well that produced the Sopranos, the expectations deserve to be very high. But to me, movie never interests me once Gandolfini wasn't a part of it. Benny emails, what would you say about the turnaround of Diaz? Um, remarkable. Listen, I was unbelievably, I've had this discussion with Buck Showalter. I would like to have this discussion with Diaz one day. I haven't. I'd like to get to the stadium one day and go talk to him about this because I pounded the heck out of him. He was awful. I actually wondered if he would ever be successful in this town. And he has this year been overwhelmingly good. He's been the best closer in baseball by a mile. He has been virtually unhittable. Now, he's got to do it on the same level in the postseason for it to stick in this town. It's not going to stick unless he does it there. If he goes in the postseason and blows games and they lose, they don't care what he did in the regular season. So he's got to carry that same ability to the postseason like Mariano did. If he can do that, he shut everybody up, including me. Kai asks, uh, going back to your years on the fan, I cannot recall you talking much about fantasy football. Um, you are right. We never talked about fantasy football. I might have made a wrong call about fantasy football because it's clearly had legs and its popularity is enormous. But I always thought that it took away from the game itself. And I still would not want to spend a lot of time just from the idea of it being fantasy. Now, gambling, the gambling inroads that are now so prevalent in all sports really came from fantasy. Fantasy was the transition that took you to the place where gambling is today. Without fantasy's role, it never would have happened. Without fantasy's popularity, the leagues never would have allowed it. But they saw the handwriting on the wall. They saw how much fantasy played inside the internet and inside social media, and they realized they had to adjust to it. And they did. So it has created a legion of fans who are just fantasy players. They're fantasy fanatics, but that is something that they take as a positive, not a negative. But I still would have trouble if I'm on the air doing a daily show talking about 
make-believe roster is and whether or not this guy, you know, he's good here or he's good there. You know, I want to talk about the teams, what makes them win the games. You know, and I think it does impact how you look at games. You know, your team loses, but the guy you have as your fantasy guy runs for, you know, puts up 42 points that week. You're ecstatic. That has changed things. That is something I don't really care for. And, but I understand that it is now there, and it is a huge part of the NFL, especially presentation. Anthony from Austin, Texas. I know you've debated with callers over the years about whether or not it was time to let Tom Coughlin go after three straight losing seasons. And I do not disagree with you that it was time. But given how the franchise churned through three head coaches and horrible GMs since his exit, I'm curious how you feel what would have uh, transpired if Tom had stayed. Excellent question. I thought it was time for Tom to go, and I love Tom personally. Love him. I have a great relationship with him. I always have, and I love him. He's a great, he's a better man than he is a coach, and he's a great coach, and he's a better person. He's one of the finest person you'll ever find being a head coach. That's how good a person he is. He's a good man, Tom Coughlin. The Giants made every wrong move they could possibly make. Gettleman was a disaster. The coaches they brought in, disasters. Decisions they made with the rosters, disasters. But that, if you're asking me, would they have had all these losing seasons and all these terrible seasons, one after another with Tom Coughlin? No, I believe Tom Coughlin would have fought back out of that and created some winning teams because he's that good a coach. But I don't think he had that in him anymore. And because of his age, I thought it was time for a move. And I can't back away from that now just because the Giants screwed it up. The Giants screwed it up. And I think there's more to that story than has ever been discussed. Because I think that the fact that this generation of Marin Tisch cannot get on the same page the way the old guys did has hurt the franchise in their decision-making and on the field. Clint asks, at what point would you deem Zach Wilson a fragile player? Hey, you got two jobs as a player. Stay on the field and play well if you want to be regarded as someone who's a prominent NFL player. Play well and stay on the field. You can't play you can't perform if you're not healthy. And you got to stay on the field. So if you can't stay on the field, there's nothing to discuss. Now, once you've done that, now we can discuss your performance. I'm not sure how good Zach Wilson is. I, he's not a guy that I say automatically, I know he's a... I need to see more from him. What I saw last year was not particularly good. I need to see more. Now, they're in a little bit of a... Tough spot because if Flacco plays well and the guy 
you know, has won almost 100 games as a player. And he's had his moments. If he plays well, they're not going to take him out of the lineup until he doesn't play well. And if he keeps playing well, he's going to have the job for a while. I don't think there's any question because they need to win games this year. John emails, congrats on four star, on the four-star. Dave, what was your feeling down the stretch, and can you tell us anything about the future at Casa Creed? Is he the best horse you've ever been a part of? Well, that goes without saying, and the answer is yes. High Oak had great promise, and he still does. We'll bring him back as a four-year-old. Unfortunately, on his way to the Derby in the Fountain of Youth, he had that terrible fall. We've been very careful with him since, and we've given him the rest of the year off. We turned him out. He hasn't had anybody on his back in three months. He's been turned out every day. We will bring him back as a four-year-old and hope we have a champion. That's how good we think he is. Now he's got to prove he can run to that ability again that he showed as a two-year-old when he dominated. Um, as far as Costa Creed, he's just gotten better with age. He found the home sprinting, and now he did what he had to do to cross over, and that was win at a mile against grade one company, and he finally did that. And I give Mott and Saez credit. I hoped, hoped, and you leave a Saez alone and let him make his decisions. You give him instructions that are in the form of what you hope is the best case scenario, but you got to let the jockey on that level make his decisions in the race because the, those guys are, are the best. When you're dealing with a guy like Saez, you do that. I hoped he would take back and sit and just wait and wait, and wait, and make the one run. He was able to do that in a five-horse field. He did it. It worked perfectly. And Casa didn't disappoint because he's got a great three-eighths move. His best, difference is six, his best distance is six furlongs. I don't think there's a horse in the country that can beat him at six furlongs. Um, how long he continues this? Hey, he just killed it continues. As far as his plans, he's obviously going to the Breeders' Cup. He's eligible in the mile. He's eligible in the sprint, which is five and a half furlongs. So we do debate the two because if it was six, we wouldn't debate. He'd be running in the sprint. At five and a half, we will debate it. Look at both fields, make a decision. Now, his next race is going to be the Coolmore Mile on October 8th at Keeneland. That gives him a race over the track before the Breeders' Cup. That's the plan right now. And he has been sensational. He's already, obviously, you know, in the last two years, he's won three grade ones, having won the Jiper back-to-back years and now won the four-star Dave. Uh, he now will be a sire. I don't think there's any question. There have been people looking at him in that regard now for the first time because at six months, they're not going to give you any money. Uh, at a mile, it changes things. Brilliant, brilliant horse. Uh, it would be hard to get a horse better than him. You'd have to be a triple crown horse to be better than him. I mean, look how many grade ones he's won. Look how many big races he's won. He's won, you know, he's on his way to winning $2 million on the track. I mean, he's, he's had just a absolutely sensational career. He's been a great, great horse for us. He really has. And, hey, there's nothing like winning a grade one. But when you win a grade one in a race as storied as the four-star Dave, at a jam-packed Saratoga, there's nothing like it. That's like playing in front of 50,000 or 45,000 at Yankee Stadium. Doing it at Saratoga in a big race, on a big race day, with everyone tuned into it, with, you know, 
the media up there completely absorbed in it. And the four-star Dave is such a big race because, you know, four-star Dave went up there and, you know, one year after year after year, he won in every different possible way. He was a remarkable horse. He became a, a Saratoga legend. And to win that race is obviously something very, very special. Now, the only thing that he could do to top any of this would be to win a Breeders' Cup race. You know, if, he's do- if he does that, he goes to an even higher level. And his level he's at right now is very, very special. But that would take him even to another level. That's the only mountain left for him really to climb. And if he climbs that, hey, nothing would surprise me anymore with him. But, boy, he has been in just a thrill machine for us. He really has. He's been very, very special. Uh, and it's been a great ride. It really has. Really has, you know. And give my partner credit. He picked that horse out. I didn't, I didn't pick that horse out. Uh, I had nothing to do with him. I came to him late. And you know what? Early on in his career, I didn't think he was a great horse. I have to admit, he's gotten better and better and better. Mott's done a brilliant job with him. And he's been handled perfectly. And I give Lee credit uh, for finding the horse uh, and believing in the horse. Because in the beginning, I didn't. I mean, I had a lot to do with High Oak. Okay, a lot. I loved High Oak. I wanted him in the worst way. But I had nothing to do with Casa Creed. That was all Lee. Absolutely all Lee. And he has been sensational. All right, remember, send your emails to... Uh, Mike Francesa podcast at gmail.com. We'll get through as many as we can. We have a big week coming up for you next week, an even bigger week as the football season will get underway. We have a lot to tell you about, so stay tuned for that. We'll have a lot of information for you about what we're going to do during the football season. So all that coming up in the days and weeks ahead. So stay tuned. And remember, in New Jersey, it's now Bet Rivers. In New York, it's Bet Rivers. In uh, Connecticut, it's Play Sugar House for all your wagering needs. We'll see you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan, and you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.